Welcome back to another episode of Tailgate Till May. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Brian Kaufman. Today, we're diving into week nine of the college football season and all the aftermath. But first, a reminder, you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, and more. If you like the show, we'd love if you leave us a five-star review. You can also find me on Twitter, at Gorgon Sports, where I give out all my college football picks each week. In week nine, I was five and four against the spread, missed on my money line parlay, hit two out of, out of the three legs, but not quite good enough. But overall, having a great season, 47 and 39 on the year. I've hit two of my money, my money line parlays, which puts me at just under plus 14 units on just those money line parlays alone. If you're betting one unit uh, per week on those money line parlays. Try to hit some juicy ones, plus 10, uh, plus 10 to 1, 15 to 1, something in that range. So you hit a couple, they pay off. I'm having a great season, and you can find all of those picks on Twitter. Look for that next week. But today, let's say hello to my friend Brian. Brian, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Another great week of college football in the books. It feels like a lot of the teams that we expected to win won in a few different fashions and set up what could be considered the game of the year next week. So super excited to get into it. Yeah, overall, maybe not the best week of college football. Not the best day where you're like, it was banger after banger like it was a few no. weeks ago when you were out of the country. But <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the reminder. <laughs> But overall, still a, a fun, solid day. There were some big games, some interesting results. And I think games that, like you said, it sets up a lot for the future, whether it's next week with Tennessee, Georgia, or the last week of the season with Michigan, Ohio State. This was a weekend where teams kind of took care of business, but it set up a lot of what could be really fun games going forward. So let's start with that big game of the day, big noon Saturday, Ohio State traveling to Happy Valley to take on Penn State, number two versus number 13, and Ohio State comes away with the 44-31 victory. But this was a game, Brian, where Penn State had a lead late in the fourth quarter. They had a, I think it was six minutes left in the third in the fourth quarter they had a lead from there Ohio State went on an absolute tear I think when you look back at that what's going to be overlooked because of the the defensive touchdown in there was the really nice drive that CJ Stroud led down late in the fourth quarter to take the lead with about three minutes left uh, but did you ever feel at any point in this game that Ohio State was going to lose? If I'm being honest, I can't, I can't say I did. I, I think, like, they they went toe-to-toe, but there was just something that felt like a bit of an inevitability. I think, like, it did feel... I mean, Sean Clifford threw the ball almost 50 times. I don't really think that's a recipe for success for Penn State. And so it was just sort of one of those things that I, I felt fairly confident watching that if it was going to take Sean Clifford going, driving the team down to win the game, then Ohio State would be able to get a stop. I kind of thought that Penn State might try to establish a run just kind of from a macro level a little bit more. Um, you know, the, the two freshmen have been really, really good for them. But but I didn't. I, I've, I you know, I 
just sort of feel like Ohio State's an inevitability from an offensive perspective. I mean, they ended up at 44 points. You mentioned they had a defensive touchdown late, but ending with 44 points is ending with 44 points, and it just so happens to be the lowest point total that they've scored in a Big Ten game this season. And so, to me, you know, not a ton changed. I know we're going to get into this high-level discussion a bit, not a ton changed for me from how I'm viewing Ohio State after this game. It's a tough place to play, and they came away with a win. And um, but no, but no, I I wasn't super concerned at any point uh, that Ohio State was going to drop it. I did have a horrific backdoor of a gambling loss, having laid fourteen and a half and cheering all day for a pick six, and finally got it. And then when the game is out of reach, they go eight plays 75 yards or something in garbage time so but so i never uh, really got no. the full details on that so what was the situation there because the line pregame was 12 and a half right so did i got you... i got 14 and a half pregame 14 and a half so it went all the way up to 14 and a half pregame okay yeah. so I, this wasn't a live situation no wow. yeah but it, it was 12 and a half earlier in the week wasn't it, it, it i believe so i believe so okay it, it moved around a bit oh. i did end up i had um i i luckily was able to mitigate my losses because I live uh, got in at seven and a half as well. So things worked out. Okay. Could have been better. Heartbreaking. But anyway, back to the game. Interested in your take on what you saw from the Buckeyes. So as far as the nitty gritty of this game goes, I really thought that Ohio State had a chance to just end this game in the first quarter. I mean, they came out and they settled for a field goal and a field goal attempt on their first two drives. But Sean Clifford threw interceptions or Ohio State forced interceptions, whichever way you want to look at it, on Penn State's first two offensive possessions. And I thought if Ohio State, like the Ohio State offense that is supposed to be the top offense in the country, I just expected them to be able to finish in the red zone. And they have had a little trouble with that. They had a little trouble against Iowa last week. But I think if they had come out and they had gone up 21 nothing. 21 nothing early or even 17 nothing. I thought that game was was absolutely over, but as it was, they they didn't convert and it ended up being, you know, 10-7 at one point and still at that point I thought like okay, Ohio State just missed out on a few chances. They'll be back. Like they they're owning this game and really their defense is owning this game. I guess I came into the game thinking that Penn State had no chance in this because I thought that they did not have the ability to go down for down, consistently move the ball on a down-to-down basis. I thought they could hit a few big plays, maybe a big Parker Washington play, but I really feel like against Ohio State, what you need to do to win the game, first off, you can't turn the ball over, which Penn State did four times. It's not a recipe for beating Ohio State. But I think the other thing you need to do is really control the clock, control the game, and not give them too many opportunities on offense and Penn State actually did a better job of that than I thought they could I thought they might be able to score a big play here a big play there not sustained drives and there was a point in this game where they where they were getting some good sustained drives mixed in with big plays um especially you know later in the in the second half they had a, a 13 play 75 yard touchdown drive uh that was the drive that gave them a 21-16 lead. And at that point, I did think, not that they're going to necessarily lose, that Ohio State was going to lose, but that I was impressed with the way that Penn State had battled back despite having some 
self-inflicted adversity with the turnovers, uh, despite, you know, giving Ohio State a bunch of advantages, how they were able to fight back and have some nice drives and, and take that lead. But I, I, I'm with you that I never necessarily thought they were going to lose. But uh, at the same time, I was impressed with the way that Penn State was was able to stick with them. I also, from a nitty gritty perspective, I want to get your I want to get your opinion on James Franklin's game management of this game. You know, that's something he's been much maligned about over the years, and I thought he had a few interesting decisions in this game. And I won't tip my hand on on how I feel about them quite yet. But one was so in the their first drive of the third quarter, fourth and two at the Ohio State nineteen, and he decided to go for it. I thought that was an interesting decision. And then later in the game, fourth quarter, they were down by nine. They had fourth and three from the Ohio State 27, and he decided to kick a field goal. I want to get your perspective on James Franklin's game management. You can dive into those two play calls uh, or two decisions specifically if you want or not. But what do you think about Franklin's game management here? Yeah, so on that first drive of the third quarter, fourth and two at the 19, I, I love going for it there. I, I think you're you're – trying to win a game. I think the play call left a lot to be desired. Um, but I think like you're being aggressive and it does feel a little bit like you're playing not to lose. If you kick a field goal, you're going to have a tough time going, you know, keeping up on, on the scoreboard uh, as it is. So I, I like going to get a touchdown, especially because there was a few plays on that drive. Like they fumbled the kickoff, Right. And we're lucky enough to recover it. I believe that was the same drive where there was that like tip should have maybe could have been intercepted, but somehow Parker Washington came down with it and converted a first down. It felt like it was one of those like like destiny drives where he was like, I'm going to go try to get a touchdown. And so I really like that one. I think I, I have a bit more trouble, I think, defending the second option that you gave kicking that field goal when you're down nine, I think especially given like it was, it was third and nine and they called a run play. And so to me that says we're going to go if we get it close, right? Like the, you, you've seen that before, like run something that might not get all of it, but set yourself up for success on fourth down and they got six yards set up fourth and three. So I thought they'd go, go there at that point, Ohio state had had, back-to-back touchdown drives, I believe. And so I would have really liked to see them go for it. Kicking a field goal said, I'm confident that we're going to get a stop on defense. And that obviously didn't happen. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think like generally it, it did feel like up until that point, he was, he was coaching to try to win a game. And, and I think that that deserves some kudos. Um, but I thought, you know, that that left a little bit to be desired when you're down nine and you had been in control a lot of the game. I think that's sort of it. Like for me as well, it's like snatch momentum back in some way. I know from a scoreboard perspective, you kick the field goal, you get it down to one possession. But like, you know, you're going to need to do this eventually anyway. I think I, I would have liked to see him. I don't know. Get, give his offense a chance there. Yeah, I'm with you. And as I'm as we're talking about this, I realized that I kind of messed up the timing at the start of this segment where I said uh, Penn State took a lead with six minutes to go. That's wrong. I don't know where I got that from. It was with a little over nine minutes to go in the game. They they took that lead. So apologies for that. But I'm I'm with you, Brian, on the decision making there. It just very counter 
I, I feel like those two decisions run completely counter to one another. And I'm with you as well that I like the decision making early in the third to go for it. And because James Taylor knows to beat Ohio State, you're not going to, you can't settle for field goals. You got to go score touchdowns. You're going to have to go score 30 to 40 points to beat them. So I, I like that. But then on the, at the same time, the decision later to kick runs completely counter to the decision-making earlier. So that's where I just found it to be inconsistent and didn't make a lot of sense. Like if you're going to go for that one in the third quarter, go for, you know, go to score that touchdown in the fourth quarter down nine, like you said, you're going to have to do it anyway. So I'm, I'm pretty much in, in agreement with you there on, you know, that decision-making. I didn't think it was what cost them the game. I thought Sean Clifford was quite frankly, what cost Penn state the game. I thought that every, I thought watching that game, I came away from it thinking, wow, Penn state was basically able to go toe to toe with Ohio state at every position except for quarterback. And the guy threw two interceptions and he, he had a fumble. He made a few good plays, but it wasn't enough to overcome those mistakes. And James Franklin basically said as much uh, in, in his post game. And I mean, look, this is how dedicated I am to this show and covering the sport of college football. I was on Penn State's 24-7 site oh, last no. <laughs> night reading the transcript of James Franklin's uh, post-game interview. And he, you know, coaches aren't going to come out and hammer their guy after the game. But I thought what he said was, he, he basically kept repeating that that you can't have the turnovers. You can't have the turnovers. When he was asked about Clifford's performance, when he was asked about the game, and I thought that speaks, I, I really think that says a lot because he that was what he kept going back to. And to me, that was his way of saying, I mean, the turnovers are what cost them the game. And Sean Clifford was the guy who committed those turnovers. So, you know, we've talked a lot about him this year. We've been, I've been kind of, we've both been down on him. I came back up a little bit. I, I think where I'm at right now is like, he is a serviceable quarterback, but he's not an all-conference level player. And if you want to go toe-to-toe with Ohio State, if you're Penn State and you have aspirations of winning a Big Ten, of going to a college football playoff, you have to have an all-conference level quarterback. And I think that was really the difference in the game today. Did you see something different or are you in agreement with me? Was it Clifford that was the difference in the game? Yeah, I think so. I was actually, uh, I went to a wedding last night and a big Penn State fan sitting next to me had chatting him up. And I was, I, I just sort of wanted to get his perspective on Sean Clifford. Cause I feel like when you have guys like that in your program as a fan, like, like there's, like you said, he's serviceable. There's value in having a Sean Clifford, but there's not value in having a Sean Clifford if you're trying to become Ohio State and Michigan and be competing for conference championships year in and year out. And so uh, he he felt the same way. And and I was, I don't know, I, I guess a little bit, a little bit surprised. I I thought he might, you know, because there there was a moment there where after the first two interceptions, Clifford got in control for a while um, and was leading some drives, and so. I'm in agreement with you. I think like something you said there was sort of interesting. Like, do you think that at risk of oversimplifying it is, is fixing quarterback what is necessary for Penn state to take the step as a program that they seem to be pretty close to taking or obviously very desperate to take? Like, is that, is it, is it that, that simple? 
I truly think it is. I, I keep going back, and I had this tweet. After those first two picks, I was putting this tweet together that was a screenshot of Justin Fields' stats during his career and the stats of the Penn State quarterbacks during the time that Justin Fields would have been at Penn State had he stuck to that original commitment. And I that is one. I think that is one of the biggest what-ifs in recent college football memory is what would the landscape of college football look like right now if Justin Fields had stuck with his Penn State commitment. One of those years, I think it was 2019, Penn State went 11-2. and That was Fields' first year at Ohio State. I mean, if he had been on Penn, and Penn State lost to Ohio State that year, if Justin Fields had been on that roster, instead of the combination of Sean Clifford and Will Levis, that's who their quarterback combination was that season, what would that season have looked like? How would that have changed the trajectory of this Penn state football program, because they had two not very good years immediately following that. So Sean Clifford has been the quarterback there for some good years and some not so good years. And I, again, came away from that thinking that defense can go toe to toe with anybody in the country. That secondary is one of the best secondaries in the country. I'm impressed every single time I watch them play. We've seen the type of players they've put into the NFL over the years. Saquon Barkley, Jahan Dotson, how many receivers have they put in the league? How many good defensive players, stars in the NFL are they putting in the league? They they have the talent, but I, I mean, what Trace McSorley was good, certainly, and those were among their best years, but Sean Clifford's not Trace McSorley, and Trace Trace McSorley is not Justin Fields or CJ Stroud. And so, yes, I think that's a very long-winded way of saying that if they have a quarterback, if they can get a first-team All-Big Ten quarterback, then they can win a national championship. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. It's well said. It's so interesting, too, because, like, Clifford's been fine this year. It's like he's he's not bad enough to pull... You know what I mean? It's like uh, Aller's played some some garbage time, whatever. But he's you, you almost like I wonder if Franklin deep down is like just just I mean I guess he had an opportunity through two picks on the first two drives, but it's it's tough to pull a guy like that. But those are the kind of calls you have to make, so it's interesting. But I I mean maybe Aller isn't ready or he's not that guy, but it is. It is a, an interesting time to be to be a Penn State fan. That's that's for and certain. we don't know if Franklin if he would ever be willing to make that decision. We talked about two weeks ago or maybe last week, whenever it was, that we know Dabo Swinney is capable of making that decision if he believes he has a younger guy who gives him a better shot. We know Nick Saban is capable of doing that on the biggest stage in college football. We don't really know uh, about Franklin, but my hunch is that if he truly thought Drew Aller gave them a better chance to win on that given day, that he would be willing and capable to make that change. That's just going off the fact that he's been a very successful head football coach for a long time. And, you know, you can quit like game management has been a thing that people quibble, quibble with, but I mean, overall he he's been successful at Vanderbilt. He's been successful at Penn State. And I believe that if he really thought Drew Aller gave them the best shot to win, that he would have politely suggested suggested at the end of last season that Sean Clifford not return this year. Uh, so I, I would think 
he truly believes Sean Clifford is the best person to give them a best shot to go and win week in and week out. And I think therein therein lies the problem for Penn State at this moment and why they're in the second tier of the Big Ten, where they're probably going to go to a very nice New Year Six Bowl, but not compete in the college football playoff. Yeah. And Indiana, Maryland, Rutgers, Michigan State remaining on their schedule. So, like, it's not hard to see a scenario where they win all those games. Um, like, I, I like I don't expect them to to slow down or quit on the year. It's just you know it's it's an interesting kind of pivot point of their season now that they've lost to the two biggest competitors in their division. You're not going to go to the Big Ten title game. Be interesting to see how the next four weeks play out, and if at any point. Aller gets a, a a shot at a little bit of additional playing time. Yeah, that would be interesting to watch. And you know, we just I just we just hammered Sean Clifford for a while there. <laughs> and I, I do think he's the big difference in the game. But you know, there was one other person on the field that Penn State didn't have, and that's JT Tuimoalau, who had two interceptions, two sacks, three tackles for loss, and a touchdown on the day on that Ohio State defense. The former number one overall recruit in the class of 2021 uh, Penn state's had some good defensive players over the year. They have some good defensive players now, but I think, is it fair to say he was the best player on the field yesterday and Marvin Harrison jr. Was the second best player on the field yesterday. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. It's so fun. Like I'm, I'm relatively new to following recruit. I mean, I think I always know who like the top players are, but it, to, to know the name and then see them make plays like that. It's so, it's so fascinating. He, he was unbelievable and he's, he's kind of got it all. He's fast when he blitzes. He's smart, obviously batted a few balls, had the picks, had the touchdown. Um, and yeah, I mean, Marvin Harrison consistently open really like the only offensive weapon for Ohio state that it felt like was, was super consistent. Um, in, in Saturday's game. So that, I mean, there's a difference, right? Uh, and, and that was, he was incredible. And I think he, I, I want to look this up to make sure, but I looked at it yesterday. He came in, Harrison Jr. Came into this season with 11 receptions in his career, 11 receptions last year. And, you know, now for the season, he has 783 receiving yards with 10 touchdowns on 48 catches. I mean, you lose, Jackson Smith and Jigba he looks like he's coming back then he ends up not playing yesterday and no big deal you still have Marvin Harrison Jr. there who might be one of the best three to five receivers in the country so it's an embarrassment of riches there on that Ohio State offense Um, so I I thought Harrison Jr. was the best offensive player uh, on the field yesterday and you know those are differences in the game too not not just the quarterback situation so yeah go ahead Brian you were right. Uh, 11 catch. I mean, obviously they had all those first round picks that just left. So he didn't get a ton of run, but uh, he did have six for 71 and three touchdowns in the Rose Bowl. I remember being like, oh, they're going to be just fine, even though all these lottery picks are headed out. Uh, and he has obviously lived up to the billing. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about those world famous Ohio State Buckeyes, which first off, like, how do you feel about that? It's such that a weird Gus thing. Saying? I. <laughs> He he does a lot of things that I I don't quite get. I really really hate when he says the all American girl Jenny Taft. I uh and I don't get the world famous uh, Ohio State Buckeyes either. I it just it grinds my gears every time. <laughs> Look, 
Gus Johnson is a very, very talented broadcaster, and I've enjoyed listening to him immensely over the years. But when you're on TV every week and you're on TV all the time, like eventually there's things that you're going to do and say that are just going to people are not going to like. And the world famous Ohio State Buckeyes is is one of those things for me. I just didn't didn't don't enjoy it. No. (laughs) Do you think it's like an overcome because he's a Michigan guy? You think that's like an overcompensation to be like, no, I can call this game fairly. Yeah. I mean, that probably has something to do with it. I also think like he, he, like you said, he's been so good for so long and I feel like he knows that his thing is like having these things and listen, not everybody's going to bat a thousand all the time. I think this is one that maybe we could leave behind, Uh, but he seems to be, seems to really like it. So I don't get it, but it's fine, I guess. Fair enough, fair enough. So let's get into those Buckeyes because this is a team that remains undefeated. They've passed their biggest test to date. So what did this game tell you about Ohio State's national title chances, Brian? Yeah, I, I, I said it a little off the top. To me, nothing really changed. Like I, I did, I mean, I laid 14 and a half. I thought they were going to have an easier time. Um, and, and, I, and I came away impressed with Penn State's defense and, and how they were able to slow them down. I still think... I, I still think they're the best team in the Big Ten. I still think they're one of the best teams in the country. I expect them to run the table, make the playoff, and be a legitimate national championship contender. I don't think, you know, we, we've done our rankings uh, a time or two, and I know we're going to do them later on. But one thing, like, you know, I I'm I tend to need to see something kind of overwhelming to make moves, right? Like, I you know, when, when we were shuffling, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State early on, and I just kind of kept Georgia there because I was like, it's it's fine. I haven't seen anything that to like knock them down, even if some other teams are doing well. That's sort of what I what I think here. They struggled a bit more than I thought they would, and I still think they have a legitimate shot to be national champions. Are you are you fading on your bullishness? Uh, I still like them. I still think they're a playoff team. I continue. So I had a thought in this game, and it might be a little out there, but maybe this Ohio State offense is superb against mediocre to bad defenses and just merely good against good defenses. Uh, And, you know, I know Iowa has a really good defense and they they ended up putting up a bunch of points, but like that defense is really good. But when the other side of the ball can't do anything, you know, it's really limiting. So I, I, I just thought they had a chance to put that game away early in the game if they could have turned three into six or they could have turned field goal attempts. So after that first Clifford interception, they got the ball at Penn State's 39, and they could only gain four yards to set up a 53-yard field goal attempt that missed. And I'm not saying, like, that needs to be, that should be why we're skeptical of Ohio State, but if this offense is as good as we think it is the number one offense in SP plus the number one offense per anybody you talk to who watches college ball regularly, like you got to go score six there and go basically end the game. Yeah. Yeah. It was a James Franklin ass play call on third down too. I was so mad about that. They ran that like weird bubble screen. That's not even really, I, I was watching with a friend. We were talking about it. It was just like, you should just be able to go throw the ball and down the field a bit and pick up 
third and six. So maybe that was the first indicator that it wasn't going to be good. But yeah, no, I, I think that's a fair, I think that's a fair concern. I just thought, I thought they were a little boom, boomer bust. So like, if you go kind of go down their drives first, first drive was a nice nine yard or nine play 55 yard drive. But then we just talked about that last one, four plays, four yards. Then on their touchdown, next possession, three plays, 41 yards. So that's kind of, kind of boom, right? Possession after that, three plays, nine yards. So that's a bust. Possession after that, three plays, negative two yards, another bust. So it's just, it's a little boomer bust. And that would be my fear against a really good defense. And we're going to find out what's so exciting about this is we are going to find out on the Saturday after Thanksgiving, what Ohio State looks like against a really good defense because Michigan has a really good defense. And I think at, at this moment, if it's... So what do you think the line... Is there a look-ahead line on that game? What, what would you guess the line would be on that game, Brian? Uh, Where is it? It's in the horseshoe. It's in the horseshoe. I'm going to um, look for a look-ahead line while you... While you yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man. Uh I I uh, touchdown. Okay. I I think it might be more. Like I was thinking if I can get if I could get to if I if I could get 10 and a half, I think I would take Michigan. Really? If I can get 10 and a half, I think I would take them because I think they can well, the thing is, that both of these teams are kind of settling for field goals, and the Red Michigan settled for a lot of field yeah. goals against Michigan State last night too. Like I see Michigan being able to to grind them down a little bit and run the ball against them. Michigan has a really good running game. Uh, we'll get into Michigan more not today, but as the season goes on, because I have some some JJ McCarthy thoughts too, and I think CJ Stroud is significantly 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 better than McCarthy at at this moment um so I think that's a big difference in that game but I like the Michigan defense a lot I like their running game a lot and I think if I could get 10 and a half I'm gonna take Michigan in that game I can't seem to find a look ahead line anywhere unfortunately in real time but uh based on SP plus let's look at that based on SP plus Ohio State would be favored by five on a neutral field so uh, eight and a half at home when they play. So yeah, I think that's fair to say. If I can get ten and a half, that I I would take them. I bet you, you if if it does open at eight and a half, it would it would move that way. I feel like people love laying points on explosive offenses. So if you if you could catch it if it opens at eight and a half, it might it might move. Yeah, I mean I think uh, I've I haven't bought into. Michigan a ton yet and I and I'm trying to think about why and I might just be um a uh, an apologist to more explosive offenses and you're right they they grind you down Blake Gorham ran the ball like 33 times or something against Michigan State and that's it's all they needed to do uh only scored 29 points it's fine Michigan State didn't threaten at all they they ran all over Penn State so it does. It, it It's a bit nerve wracking um, from Ohio State's perspective. But I, I think I think if it's in single digits, I would I would lay it uh, with with the Bucks. But I, I'm scared. I mean, I, I am. They they it was a roller coaster ride laying all those points with them yesterday. I don't want to I don't want to do that too many more times to myself. 
Yeah, I mean, and, and at home, being at home is a big difference too. But yeah. I'm just, I'm very, very excited for that game. And, you know, we got a couple more weeks to it, but but we'll find out a, a lot more then. But for the time being, I think Ohio State is solidly a playoff team. I think it's good to go and get a double-digit win on the road uh, against your your probably big and definitely your biggest road test of the season, a team that always plays you tough. So I think it's a, a good win for Ohio State and what they needed to do to keep the train on the tracks. Uh, and, you know, they still have all their, their goals ahead of them. So let's move on, Brian, to a couple Big 12 games. TCU stays undefeated. They had a little bit of a road test beating West Virginia 41-31. It was really a three-point game, and they got a real, real late touchdown to make it 10. So they stay undefeated. And then the other big game in the conference, Kansas State dominates Oklahoma State to the tune of 48 to nothing. The Wildcats take sole possession of second place in the conference at 4 and 1. They are the only one-loss team ahead of a slew of two-loss teams. So my question to you Brian, as it stands right now, it would be a TCU Kansas State Big 12 Championship game. True or false? That's how it will end at their end of the season. Yeah. I saw this on the uh, I I thought a lot about this. I it's hard for me to believe in a way but my answer is true because looking at the standings i don't really know who else is going to who else is going to come up from the bottom there right like texas could win out and they'd get in don't expect that to happen um I, i'm going to say true i mean so the two lost teams are oklahoma state baylor and texas baylor i believe i don't have it in front of me but has a, a pretty tough schedule remaining i think they still have tcu uh, they still have Kansas State. Um, so let me jump have- in real quick on the Baylor thing. Yeah. Because Baylor is the team that I want to watch because they have both Kansas State and TCU at home in back-to-back weeks. Okay. Okay. But they do and- have a tough schedule because they, they, they're they remaining for at Oklahoma, Kansas State at home, TCU at home, at Texas. So you think they're in play? You, you, I mean, they did look good. That's a, you don't. It's not easy to win on the road in conference at all, and they, they ran through Lubbock. I, I just think that TCU has been fortunate in a way that they've had all of their really big games at home and they've played a lot of hurt quarterbacks. I want to see them go on the road. I, I want to see them travel and win a game on the road. And Baylor has looked better, as you said, as of late. They played really well yesterday. I don't think they are the one of the two best teams in the conference, but I think having those two games at home, it matters. Yeah, I think that's fair. I have my potential slip update circled a week earlier, and I and I feel like I might get roasted for this. But the Gary Patterson revenge game, man. Uh, Texas is not a hard place to play. It hasn't been, but doesn't it just feel like like Texas is a talented team? This is this is one of those things where like they're gonna win games still, right? Like, and they're and they're gonna lose games that you expect them to win. Obviously, that happens all the time. They're talented enough obviously to beat TCU at home the week after next. Um, so I, like, I, I mean, obviously TCU can afford a loss and the answer to this question could still be true. Um, I, I think like, I, I think it's got to happen at some point, right? Like I, I, we're, we're getting fewer and fewer opportunities. I, I like West Virginia was one to circle and they made it a game for sure. Um, I think Texas and Baylor are both better than West Virginia and tough enough places to play that I think they do lose one of those road games. Um, but you're right. Baylor's an interesting one to keep an eye on. Are you are you 
Rockin' False. So, mm-hmm. yeah, turn it on you, buddy. <laughs> I no, I'm I'm going true. I'm going true. I've I bet on Kansas State before the season. I've liked can uh, I've liked TCU all year long. I am going true. It is going to be those teams. However, I do think they each take one more loss. I think you're going to have a uh, one loss TCU team, a two two loss Kansas State team that gets in by virtue of a tiebreaker. I I don't see any of those top five running the table the rest of the way. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I think Will Howard deserves a shout out for going in there and performing like he did. I mean, obviously, everybody played incredibly well. Deuce Vaughn was effective as usual, but Will Howard, you know, no Adrian Martinez, and they still did that. It was it was it was very impressive. I think the frustrating thing, or not frustrating, but it's like if you're looking for a place where TCU is going to slip up, it should have been Kansas State. Like Kansas State should have won that game. Uh, they last week were up 28 to 10 and they had a chance to go up 35 to 10 going into halftime. They got the ball at their own 46. They, uh, TCU turned the ball over. Kansas got a big stop ball at their own 46 and they were only able to gain a yard, punted the ball back to TCU. TCU goes 91 yards just over three minutes before the half to make it a 28-17 game. Kansas State does not score again the rest of the game. And they obviously, Martinez got hurt. Howard was out at the times in that game. But that was, I feel like that's the recipe for beating TCU is a team that can run the ball and play really good defense. I think that's the, uh, I think that's the recipe there. And I'm not sure if there's another team on the schedule that can really do it as effectively as Kansas State can. There's no they are they are the best. Do you agree that Kansas State has the best defense in the Big 12? Yes. Yeah, okay. And that's I think you got to have a really good defense and a good running game to be able to beat them. So, but I, I don't know, like Texas you're right. Texas isn't like their their rivals, in-state rivals, Texas A&M where they're just bad. Like Texas is Texas reminds me a lot of last year's Nebraska where they are losing close games. However, they have a higher talent level than Nebraska, and they're going to do what Texas has always done, where they're able to get up and, and beat a good team. So, yeah, that that wouldn't shock me at all, but if they're going to do that, it's going to have to be like, it's going to be a 45-42 game. I think that's fair. I want you to know that the pot shot at Texas A&M did not go unnoticed. I thought we were going to make it through one episode without them getting, uh, you know, roasted a bit. But congratulations. That was good. Uh, well, Another... Lane, I was inspired by Lane Kiffin. He was taking a lot of shots last yeah. night. So, yeah, he was. no, he, he got was. my got my juices flowing. So, <laughs> yeah. look, Big 12, I think it's going to be a fun race. Uh, the rest of the way, it's been a fun race all the way throughout. But if there's a team I'm keeping my eye on, like I said, just the way the schedule sets up. Both those teams have to go at Baylor. Baylor, defending conference champion. Uh, you know, they still have a say in this thing. Blake Shapin, I, I thought, played well against Texas Tech. They hammered them, 45-17. And, yeah, they know, ran the living daylights out of the ball, too. So you're not wrong. They that they, 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 uh, they Richard Reese had three touchdowns, almost 150 yards. So um, that, that is a rest of you. 36 carries, man. They just leaned on them. And so maybe that's the way to do it. Limit possessions and and we'll see. I think that's a good call out. 
yeah, so if that, that's that's the team I'm looking at to potentially knock off undefeated TCU. Sounds like you're looking at Texas. Yeah, yeah, I think All so. Right. I think the talent's there, I, and you know, it's if if you told me Texas beat TCU before the season, I was like, well, yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, obviously that's a weird way to look at things, but like, yeah, they're they're as talented. They can win anytime they step on the field. Just gotta just gotta do it. Yeah, fair enough. Well, let's take another look ahead at another big game coming up next week, Brian, and that is Georgia and Tennessee. The Volunteers will go to Athens. Both of them looked really good in rivalry games yesterday. Georgia taking down the Gators in Jacksonville. Tennessee beating Kentucky at home, and I do mean beating Kentucky at home. Just a a thorough dismantling of the Wildcats. And I think really the best way to talk about these two games is to look ahead because both teams look good. Both teams look playoff caliber, in my opinion. Uh, What are you looking for next week? Yeah, how's Georgia going to stop this offense that seems unstoppable? I mean, Georgia's got a great defense. We know it. It won them a national title last year. But at what point is like, I I think it's a, a foolish comparison, but like, there are a little bit of 2019 LSU vibes to Tennessee. And I think like, I think people were, were buying in on them as potential national champions, maybe a little bit earlier than people are, are fully buying in on Tennessee. Now I actually pulled it up today. Cause I thought it was interesting. Like in hindsight, right. That's, you know, they're talked about like maybe they're the best college football team ever and deservedly. So, they weren't like number one throughout. The, I mean, obviously they, they snuck up, but um, opening college football playoff rankings, which come out this week, uh, they, they weren't number one. Right. So at least there was some still like prove yourself sort of vibe. And obviously they did that um, from an offensive perspective. This team is electric. I mean, Hendon Hooker is just he's he's in total control right now Jalen Hyatt's been maybe one of the I mean definitely one of the best receivers in the country um they they seem unstoppable so it it does feel like and I never would have thought I would say this against a team playing Georgia but it seems like Tennessee is gonna get theirs which I might regret saying but it seems like they're gonna get theirs and so for me it's it's figuring it out a way to try to slow it down from Georgia's perspective um, and, and just give your offense a chance. But yeah, I, I, it's got to be one of the top game or two of the year and de facto SEC East championship game. And uh, I think it's, it's going to be great. What are you looking for? So I'm really glad you brought up that 2019 LSU season, Brian, because you're right. There's been a ton of comparison to Tennessee to LSU and just like LSU that year, Tennessee has to go on the road to an intra-division team ranked number one in the country, just like LSU had to do. They had to go on the road to Alabama. And if I remember correctly in that game, Alabama was a, a about a touchdown. I think they were a seven and a half point favorite. Don't quote me on it, but I, I know I bet on Alabama in that game and I know I lost money on that game. And um, I did not believe in that LSU team. I did not believe in that LSU team till it was far, far, far too late. But my point being, LSU went on the road to Alabama and they won that game against the, the king of the hill. And Tennessee now has to do that against Georgia. Tennessee has won some very big games this year, but they haven't done it 
away from Knoxville and going into Athens next week for the 330 CBS game. I mean, that's as big as it gets. This is one verse two in the AP poll, in the new AP poll. Uh, that year, that that 2019 LSU year, it was one verse three. Or uh, I'm sorry, I think it was two verse three. Uh, now I messed myself all up I'm trying to figure out what. It, no, it was, it was one verse two. It was one verse two um, in, in that game as well, at least according to college ball reference. And my point being, Tennessee has to go do that. If they want to be thought of like 2019 LSU, go and win that game. Go and win that game. And I think you're right. Like I, So I placed two bets on this game as soon as the numbers came out. And they have moved pretty dramatically since that, that point. I got Tennessee plus 11.5, and, and I got over 61.5. Because I think Tennessee is going to, to get theirs. We talked about it. At some point in the past couple of weeks, Oregon is the most explosive, best offense Georgia has played to date. And Bo Nix turned the ball over, but they were able to move the ball at times. And I, I trust Hendon Hooker a lot. He's just he's a very mature quarterback. I think he is running that offense to perfection right now. I think he will make the right decisions. I think they will score. Because in the modern day and age of college football, the offense has the advantage. And Georgia's defense, look, they're good. They're not last year's defense. That was an all-time defense. And Tennessee in the first half last year was able to score a little bit. So I do like Tennessee to score. I think it's going to be a shootout. I think Georgia, look, Georgia has a good offense. Georgia has a really good offense. Um, And I think it's going to be a shootout. I think we're going to be chucking the ball all over the place. Georgia has a good run game, too. I think there's going to be a lot of points in this one. What do you think about my two bets? Because... They're down, by the way, since I got it 11.5, now down to Georgia minus 8.5, and, and the total's up to 64.5. So moving the right way for me. Yeah, yeah, I like them a lot. I, I was I was honestly a bit surprised it, it, it opened at double digits, and I think that was the whole idea. I believe your tech said if I can get it at double digits, I'm going to get it. So a good a good spot to get it at, and like you said, you moved the right way. I, I'm, you know... Like I said, I'm confident Tennessee can score on this team, and I'm also confident that Georgia has a good offense. I I like the total over um, not your classic, you know, SEC slobber knocker. It's not going to be nine to six, um, and and I think we know that. And so I like both your bets. I also like, you know, sitting here thinking, right, we just both got done talking about how we doubted LSU pretty much to the end. I mean, I have – very fond memories of sitting next to you live betting the living daylights out of Oklahoma in the playoff. Uh, that didn't really work out well for either of us. I'm, I'm over here like, okay, am I willing to commit to if Tennessee goes in there and wins uh, uh, that I'm like, I'm confident Tennessee's going to win the national championship and I'm still hesitant. So I gotta, I gotta, I mean, I obviously got to see how the game plays out and pay attention. Um, but trying to learn from my, my past mistakes here. Well, I guess the biggest question to me, Brian, about this matchup and about these two teams is, you know, is Tennessee's, I guess it's, you can look at it two ways. Is Tennessee's offense good enough to overcome their defense or is their defense better than we're giving it credit for? Because right now I'm leaning the latter that this defense is better than we give it credit for. Their SP plus has them as the 34th best defense, which uh, just for, for reference, for the teams ahead of them in SP plus are Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, and Michigan. 
and they have the sixth, second, fifth, and fourth best defenses. So pretty drastic gap between those four teams ahead of them and them in turn from a defensive perspective. But I mean, Tennessee doesn't have the world's, I mean, uh, Kentucky doesn't have the world's best offense, but they pretty much dominated that game last night from a defensive perspective. Uh, Kentucky could not convert on third downs, two of 13 on third downs, held them to 3.6 yards per pass and three yards per rushing attempt. That's, that's a dominating defense performance. So I think, and they create havoc. I like how they create havoc as well. They're uh, maybe a little more boom or bust uh, in just some of my visually watching them at times, but they, they will create some big plays from a defensive side of the ball. So I tend to think that like we are underrating their defense right now, that their offense is what we say it is, and we're underrating their defense. And so to me, uh, I, I think they are very much a contender for the national championship. Yeah, Kentucky had 205 yards of offense. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the type of game that feels like a no, we're actually here type of game. And Kentucky, like you said, they're, they're not world beaters on offense. They're a fine team. Um, yeah, it felt like a we're here game. So we'll see. Uh, I can't wait. This is this to me. I, I'm as excited, I think, as I will be for Michigan, Ohio State. This is uh, this is why we watch college football. So let me give you a SEC playoff take. Okay, fire away. I think, as you know, I I did not go to an SEC school. However, I. And a bit of an SEC homer, right? Is that sure. fair to say? In the time you've known so. me, I just I really like the SEC a lot. Yes. I think it's a fun conference to watch. Lo- I I love it. However, I think that everybody should stop talking about three SEC teams in the playoff, or even two SEC teams in the playoff. I think what makes college football great, at least for now, until we go to a twelve-team playoff is you have to beat the teams on your schedule. So if Tennessee goes in and loses to Georgia, Georgia has the advantage over them. They won the division. They deserve to be ahead of Tennessee, just like Tennessee deserves to be ahead of Alabama. And I know it sucks that it's not a true round robin. Like We're not going to get to see each of these teams play each other but to me it's very simple if Georgia beats Tennessee and Georgia beats Alabama in the SEC championship game and I know that's a very simple scenario Georgia should be in and those other two teams should not be in because it's not about like I'm already getting frustrated with this and this is a great segue into our top six ahead of the college ball playoff rankings coming out on a uh, Tuesday but I already heard it on college game day is Kirk Herbstreit said we're trying to find the four best teams Okay, well, if you're trying to find the four best teams, then don't play the season. Don't play the season at all. Just let's use the 24-7 sports composite ratings and just put those four teams in a playoff and be done with it. Because if you're trying to find the best teams, you're always going to find advanced numbers. Like right now, what did I just tell you? Alabama's ahead of Tennessee. Alabama's number three in SP Plus right now. So, But would anybody in their right mind say that Tennessee doesn't deserve to be ahead of Alabama after after beating them like if that's what we're going to do then just don't even bother playing playing the game so if we're going to bother playing these games let's make them matter and to me that means if Georgia beats Tennessee they are the better team than Tennessee and deserve to get in the playoff ahead of Tennessee um so 
I just, I'm getting, I'm already getting tired of this where it's like, we're going to try to find the the best teams. And it kind of goes counter to how much I love the SEC because usually when they say we're going to find the best teams, that means two SEC teams. And I don't mind two SEC teams, but let's like, let's not even go there with the third SEC team. But I'd be fine with one. I truly would. If you give me a undefeated TCU, an undefeated Ohio State or Michigan, undefeated SEC champion, and, um, undefeated you know, Clemson, undefeated, undefeated Clemson. I know that's four undefeated. It's probably not going to happen. That's fine with me. That's absolutely fine with me if that happens. So, I don't know, Brian. I, maybe my SEC homer card gets removed, but yeah. I, I just I'd be okay with it. I'd be okay with just letting the results on the field dictate what happens. Paul Feinbaum is on line one for you. Uh, no, so I, I but I we talked about this, it, it, and it has a chance of playing out, which is like eleven and one Tennessee. Like there are a set of outcomes where that is a top four resume still, right? There are, uh, there are, but I think the committee ha- the committee has shown they value conference championships, and I will say this right now: like I, the way I view the sport of college football, if you give me a give me a one loss USC or Oregon team in the playoff over a one loss non conference champion Alabama a one-loss non-conference champion Tennessee or one-loss non-conference champion Georgia. Like, I think that carries a lot of weight with me because you went out and you you won your conference and either Georgia or Tennessee is not even going to win their division. And to some people, that doesn't matter, but to, to me, it matters because, like, again, I go back to, like, why are we playing these games if this is not going to matter, if these results are not going to matter? I think it's fair. I think it's fair. It's funny getting fired up before the first show because those are they're always so maddening uh, trying to hear the justifications and and how they're going to squeeze talking about Alabama in the top six on Tuesday and all that stuff. Um, But I'm with you. I'm with you. I think generally just we have opportunities to see these teams play each other to a certain extent, and that should be the, the number one determining factor. So I think it's a totally fair point. All right, so great segue, Brian. Let's do our top six ahead of the first college football rankings that will come out on Tuesday. I pick six because that's at the end of the season, that's what they give, right? They do like they show the four, then the kind of first two out, and it kind of works out nicely right now with six undefeated teams. And I think those will be, I mean, those are my top six. So we'll see if they're yours, but uh, I'll, I'll start with you. Give me, give me your top six. Let's go six through six, starting with six. 10 to 1. You got it. Okay, so ours, I, I snuck a peek at ours. Our, they're not identical, but they're very close. Um, so I have uh, Clemson at number 6. I have uh, Alab... No, I'm just kidding. TCU at number 5. Uh, I did I did stick with the undefeated. Uh, Michigan at number 4. I have Ohio State at number 3. I have Tennessee at number 2. And I have Georgia at number one. And really, I think to a certain extent, it's splitting hairs a bit. I know that's why we're here, but it's it goes back to what I said earlier, right? Like I just Tennessee has been amazing. 
And I might look back on this like 2019 LSU, like should have just had that number one all along. Uh, I was I was late to pull the trigger. But to me, I, uh, Georgia hasn't shown me anything yet that I don't believe in them as a number one team. Um, and so I, I'm keeping it till till we know and, and we'll see. Uh, but I know yours is just a, a touch different. So let's do it. Yeah. So ours are exactly the same, except I have Tennessee number one and Georgia number two. So we're just flipping the, the one and two spot. And okay, so let me tell you why I have Tennessee number one. Sure. And it's it's pretty simple, honestly. It's that they have the best win of anybody in the country. I think that Alabama win is the best win that you can claim. And then their second best win at LSU, a dismantling of LSU on the road, is starting to look pretty good, Brian. It's that's two pretty good wins. To have on your resume there so to me that trumps Georgia absolutely wrecking Oregon on a neutral field which eh, you can barely call that a neutral field I mean Atlanta's not, not a neutral field but still Oregon I think a really good win like I said it's a playoff team now okay sorry can I go I need to caveat something for a second do it. I go. do think Oregon I do think a one loss Oregon should not get in over one loss, Georgia. I, we were tight that, on time. I was going to call it out. Like, let yeah. me let me clarify <laughs> that. I, I I do think that like that has to that in the spirit of the games mattering, that has to matter, right? Oregon can do nothing to make the playoff for you. No, they can. Uh, they just can't. Like, so Georgia wins the SEC. Tennessee takes a loss. Alabama takes a loss. I'm fine with with Oregon getting in. I just think directly head to head, they should not get in over Georgia if they if if they are both one loss teams. I got it. Okay. Yeah. I th- that that totally makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, that that's an important caveat. That okay. I'm glad I glad I snuck that in there. But a- anyway, um I just think Tennessee has the two best wins. I think they their two best wins are better the best two wins that anybody in the country can claim. And uh, the beauty of it, again, is whether they're one or two, we're going to find out. I, to, For me, whoever wins this game is the number one team in the country. I think that's that makes a ton of sense, and, and they should be. And uh, honestly, like, this will be maybe the best win, right? Whoever gets it will have that on their resume, and it, and it makes we don't have to split hairs anymore. I think... That's totally fair reasoning. I, I, I do really like the Oregon win for Georgia and it's more of just like, a, I put him there. I'm going to leave him there and, and we'll see. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, setting up for one of the games of the year. Can't wait. Brandon Marty. I'm already kind of like walking back my take too. Cause now I'm just thinking <laughs> about what if, what if Tennessee has wins over Alabama, Georgia on the road, and LSU over on the road? Those are their three best wins. I mean, that's an unbelievable resume. So, in reality, I know if that happens, no matter what happens the rest of the year, they're going to. I mean, they're going to get in. Yeah. Like as long. Yeah, I, I mean, as long as they don't lose until the SEC championship game, they will be in the playoff. I'm like, I can live with that. That's fine with me. However. What would like frustrate me a little bit more in that scenario, but then, okay, so then like comparing USC to Georgia in that scenario, I I think USC would have no chance of getting in, and I don't think that's right. So let's say Tennessee wins out, they beat Alabama, 
again, second time, Alabama's done, right? So then the conversation is going to be, or, I mean, there's a lot of conversations, but let's just keep it at that USC point for a second. Does Georgia get in with one loss, or does USC get in with one loss? And I feel like there is going to be basically no chance that USC gets in. Yeah. And that's yeah. frustrating to me. That is, yeah. Yeah, I like, think that's That fair. should be a real discussion. So that's kind of where I'm coming from with my from my take from before. Like, I'm not opposed to two SEC teams getting in if the circumstances are right. But I, I think there's going to – I want to see more discussion around it. I don't – I would not be in favor of a one-loss Georgia in that scenario getting in over an undefeated TCU. Absolutely not, no. I, I think, like – I mean, we expect some of these undefeateds to take losses, but – I will die on the hill of an undefeated power five champion is, is always in automatically. Yeah. Undefeated. Like, I mean, you, you should get it. If you're on we talked about it before yeah. undefeated, you're in, if you're a power five conference champion, a hundred percent agreed. So yeah, I mean, it's, I, I'm just excited as we talk more tonight, I'm just more excited for this stretch run of the college football season here. Cause I feel like we have so much to look forward to starting with this, this Georgia Tennessee game start, uh, you know, we already ran through that big 12 slate a little bit. And then that Michigan Ohio state game. And even like Clemson has a little bit of a maybe tricky spot this weekend against Notre Dame too. Notre Dame looking a little bit better. Clemson hasn't looked the sharpest all season long. So I just think it's going to be a, a fun stretch run as we're talking about it right now. We have these six undefeateds. Okay. Over under two and a half undefeateds by the end of the, by the end of the year, when, when the final selection committee rankings are in, how many undefeateds do we have of these six? All right. Let's see. We're, we're guaranteed to lose one. Guaranteed to lose two. Guaranteed to lose two, right. Guaranteed to lose one this weekend and one at the end. Um, I'll say over two and a half. Think we'll have, so you think we'll have three undefeateds at the end of all this? Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think Georgia-Tennessee winner. I think Ohio State-Michigan will get to the game and their winner. And I think Clemson. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. Really I mean, is. it's it's like, yeah, it's 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 putting some faith in there. I do think it's a tricky spot. It's I guess bad, it kind of depends what you think about Alabama. Then. Yeah. I think that's the biggest question all that is like, do you think Alabama will beat one of these East teams in the SEC championship game? Because I feel like that is the the determining factor in that. Because you're 100% right on the uh, winner of, of the game is going undefeated. Those yeah. are by far the two best teams in the Big Ten. I'm with you on Clemson. And then it's, can Alabama beat one of those East teams? And I think that's ultimately what the answer to the question or what the key is. And then, I mean, we just completely discounted TCU, but I do think they drop one. I think they have to. I do. And we also completely discounted LSU, who's hosting a night game in Baton Rouge this weekend against Alabama, and the winner will be in first place in the West. So, I, I mean, not that I think LSU is going to do it, but it is, I mean, it's there for the taking. Fair enough. Well, bottom line, like I've been saying, great stretch run coming up. Can't wait for it. Brian, running a little short on time, so let's get some real quick uh, winners and losers in here. Let's start with the winner. Who's your winner of the week? Yeah, we talked about him. JT Tui Moalau. Uh, I mean, that dude's a beast. Uh, it's 
there's a long line of successful Ohio State defenders, and he seems to just be one of the next ones uh, going to dominate the Big Ten for a while. But really a, a great coming out party for him. He seems to be a game wrecker and um, thought he deserved one more shout out. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm right there with you. My winner of the week is the Boise State Broncos and Andy Avalos. They were a team. They looked down and out after the first four weeks, really similar to Utah last year. They're two and two. They have their quarterback transfer out and turns out best thing that could have happened because they've won four straight since then. They look like they're in control of the Mountain West at this point, uh, 5-0 and in conference, 6-2 and overall, and this was a team early in the season we thought might go undef- uh, might end the season with a losing record, and now undefeated in conference um, and just looking really good. There were even some rumors, or not rumors, but message board type stuff, Twitter type stuff about Andy Avalos and the job he was doing there, and he's really proved everybody wrong. Uh, Green at quarterback has been playing well, to uh, in as a replacement for Hank Bachmeyer, who was there for at least eight years. So uh, Boise State winner of the week. There you go. My loser, uh, kind of a everybody's a loser type situation. Uh, Michigan, Michigan State post game, uh, some some fighting, some pretty nasty like melee, ten on one in the tunnel. You can easily find the video if you search it on Twitter, but. Um, not a great look for Michigan State. Not not really a great look for for anybody. Um, and it sounds like the local authorities are involved. The Big Ten is going to be involved. Um, Kevin Warren was at the game, and he's got the conference involved. Um, you just you don't like to see it. It's it's a big deal, and uh, I think we'll hear more about it as you know legal proceedings happen and stuff. Um, I think side note, sort of, is that this probably leads to them finally separating they got to get another another tunnel in there i mean you just can't how do you do this again i don't think you can so uh yeah i think there'll be a lasting impact from this and it was it was nasty to see yeah well said brian just uh not not a great situation like you said no no winners in that um just sad to see and not not like not what you like to see after uh you know rivalry game a game that a lot of people look forward to so well said uh i'm gonna take us back to the field and my loser of the week is gonna be boston college boston college lost to uconn 13 to 3 they are not having a good season they're two and six overall and i think that uconn loss just really stings any program but especially in the northeast i mean uconn's a program that you know, even if you're not the greatest football program, you can always kind of turn down your nose at at UConn a little bit, and to to go in there, not even score a touchdown. I mean, Boston College has more talent than UConn does, significantly more talent. I mean, Zay Flowers is probably the the best player. He would be the best player on any UConn team over the past fifteen years, and uh, so just a Ugly loss for Boston College, and and they are my loser of the week. All right, well, let's look ahead to next week. Briefly, dug into that Georgia-Tennessee game, which, of course, is the game of the week and the one that I'm going to be looking forward to. Actually, very excited because I will be in Atlanta next weekend, and uh, 
hoping to hit some of my maybe one of my old favorite spots for what to watch that game anytime there's a big sec game atlanta is electric just with all the sec fan bases but especially when you know georgia's involved obviously a huge georgia alumni base i was never there when tennessee lived there seven years tennessee was never good the whole seven years i lived there but i do know several very passionate Tennessee fans. So I, I there's a decent sized Tennessee alumni base fan base there too. So I, I think that's going to be an electric Saturday afternoon in Atlanta. So very, very excited to be in the SEC footprint for that one. But anything else, uh, you know, maybe as a as an appetizer that you're looking forward to in addition to that game. Yeah, well, I like I like the term appetizer because I'm just looking forward to Maction, baby. We're got we got Tuesday, we got two games Tuesday, two games Wednesday, a couple non mac games on Thursday. It's that time of year that I uh, I think is really exciting and kind of like a sneaky, interesting game to watch. Liberty at Arkansas is just like uh, oh, they're playing each other kind of thing and uh, kind of a a, a measuring stick um, type of, of of game for Liberty too. So I think that'll be good. And then I you know I. I just can't wait for Florida state and Miami to matter again. Like I'm not looking forward to watching that this weekend, but like obviously our formative years, like those were some of the best games um, and, and saw it on the schedule and got a little sad that it literally has no impact on anything whatsoever. Um, But yeah, I'm I'm just excited that we're at the time of year where football's on our TV all the time. Oh man, that's, that's really sad. It's sad. I didn't even know that game was happening. Right. Exactly. That's really sad. You're (laughs) absolutely right. I mean, I could go on and on about that rivalry. Uh, Something from a betting perspective I'm really interested in, Brian, is Arizona, Utah. The total for that game is 67 and a half, which seems ridiculously low, given that in Arizona's last two games against Washington and USC, the uh, final tally has been 82 total points and then uh, 88 points the week before against Washington. That uh, that total for you, the USC game was like in the mid-70s. So 67 seems low in that one because Utah scores basically at will. Arizona does too. Utah's defense has not been super good this year. Maybe they're just getting more credit for traditionally having a good defense, but I don't see why that should be uh, nine points lower than the USC Arizona total. So uh, give me an over there and, uh, you know, with a, a team involved that's been in the 80s the last two games. So that's my early bet of the week, along with the the two Georgia Tennessee bets. Well, look. This is a lot of fun, man. Uh, we're getting to the time of year where it's going to be a lot of playoff talk, a lot of breaking down the top of the sport. And uh, I think it's been a nice mix this year because I think up to this point, we've really been able to just focus on like the broader picture and what's happening on a week-to-week basis. But now things are... R- kind of rounding into form we haven't had to do playoff talk since week four like it is in some years so i really like the way that it's kind of turned out this year it's been a fun start to the year we got a great uh stretch run coming our way like i said i will be traveling next week so we're not gonna have a show next week but we will be back with you the following week to break down all of the week 11 action maybe find a way to sneak some college basketball talk in here with uh, college basketball starting up. Uh, So we'll we'll have to see how that goes, but it's a great time of year. If you love college sports and on this show, we love college sports. 
So that's our show. Until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold. <laughs>